The world's most powerful leaders are gathering in Argentina as the annual G20 summit is set to begin. The to-do list for Trump, Putin, Merkel, Xi, and others is a long one, and the chances of green on anything are slim. This is TikTok. I'm Dave Myers. Joining me now from Buenos Aires, Argentina, is Bloomberg's Josh Wingrove. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Thanks for having me. So how are things in Buenos Aires right now? Well, we're just sort of picking up. The leaders are rolling in. The Saudi Crown Prince was among the first to arrive, and of course, all eyes will be on him and who meets with him. Vladimir Putin looks like he will, but other uh, others aren't exactly rushing to meet him in the, in the aftermath of Jamal Khashoggi's death. Uh, the Canadian Prime Minister has arrived as well, and his foreign minister actually just announced sanctions on 17 Saudi individuals in the aftermath of Khashoggi's murder, as they called it. So that looks to be one of the key subjects here. Of course, the U.S. president is, is due to attend here and will meet uh, over the course with uh, China's president, Xi Jinping. So we'll be watching Trump Xi pretty closely, of course, to see if there are signs of uh, some sort of truce or even a solution in their trade war or, of course, of things going south the other way. Uh, so lots of things here. The summit, I think, will actually be more about what happens on the sidelines with all these other side meetings than it will in the room with all 20 of them. And, you know, we'll circle back to some of these issues because there's a lot to accomplish uh, in, in Buenos Aires for the <laughs> leaders at this G20. I, I just want to start at the beginning, though, because this is an international forum that was originally meant just for central bankers. And then in 2008, when the yeah. financial crisis hit, it expanded to the heads of state. So break down the cast of characters that will be arriving today. Yeah, I mean, actually, like, I'll take it back even farther than that. It was about two decades ago that it didn't exist, but the G7 felt pretty powerless with the Asian financial crisis. Uh, Mexico's peso was all over the map. And so they thought, hey, you know, this doesn't cut it. We need a bigger group. So that's how the G20 was born. It added China. It added Korea. It added, uh, you know, Argentina, obviously. And, you know, tried to broaden the influence beyond just, you know, the U.S. and its sort of like-minded allies. And so, you know, as you said, fast forward a decade, the uh, financial crisis hit, and they started meeting at the leader level, not just the finance ministers. And, you know, it's credited with helping really, uh, you know, uh, with, uh, with the response from the G20 helped uh, keep things from getting even worse during the depths of that global recession. They had a, sort of able to sort of compare notes and coordinate their responses. But now they're sort of lacking that, like, unified purpose. The enemies now are a little more uh, disparate, or at least they don't agree on them. Things like climate change, the U.S. is not backing the Paris Accord, for instance. Uh, on trade uh, spats, the U.S. and China are at odds on trade, and the U.S. doesn't really like anything about the way trade works internationally now. So the G20 is in a bit of an identity crisis. And so you got uh, that you asked about that cast of characters. Obviously, Trump is a big one. Theresa May will be here on the wake of her Brexit deal. Uh, France's Emmanuel Macron and Germany's Angela Merkel will be here trying to hold together the summit uh, at a time when they're both pretty weakened at home. Uh, China's Xi Jinping will be here, and I think he's mostly coming for uh, the meeting with Trump. Uh, you know, Japan, India, uh, Turkey, Erdogan is here. Of course, that's important in the wake of the Shoghi's death. So pretty much all the key players in all the crises facing the world right now are coming to Buenos Aires. And that's why I say I think a lot of this work is going to be done on the sidelines as they meet, get face-to-face, -face and, 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 and tackle or don't 
some of these issues. And as with Khashoggi, I think one of the things we'll watch will be who actually meets with Mohammed bin Salman, the Saudi crown prince. I don't actually think a lot of people will be. I mean, is it his intentions to be there and try to make amends with all these countries? Uh, no, it does not seem like that is the case. Analysts are saying this is the opposite. This is the crown prince flexing his muscle, emboldened almost in the aftermath of Khashoggi's death, and saying, hey, I'm here just to reiterate, if you're dealing with Saudi Arabia going forward, you're dealing with me. And so that, I think, really is uh, will be seen as troubling by some of the other leaders who, of course, have taken steps to sanction Saudi Arabia uh, after Khashoggi's death, saying that the explanations uh, from uh, Saudi Arabia were either consistent or they changed a bunch or they don't make any sense. So, you know, I, he, uh, he, he is, you know, definitely going to be a, a lightning rod here, but he's not coming here with an olive branch, that's for sure. You touched on it briefly, uh, you know, the trade war with China, and it's probably President Trump's main priority when he gets there, uh, to, and he is meeting with Xi. So what are we going to be watching there? I think the realistic best-case scenario there is that uh, they, they, they stop things getting worse, as opposed to come up with a grand plan for things to get better. Um, you know, Trump has prepared additional tariffs on Chinese goods, uh, which would, you know, that's a cost paid by Americans, right? And he looks willing to make them pay that cost to reset what he thinks is a fundamentally unfair relationship. So they can come up with some sort of short-term freeze uh, from things getting worse. I think markets will react pretty positively to that. Uh, if not, then, you know, the, the, the weight of not only an ongoing tariff fight, but potentially worsening tariff fight, uh, you know, I, I think uh, investors will take note of that pretty closely. And markets have not loved that so far. You know, maybe another thing markets will be watching, as as maybe all of Europe, is is Theresa May's visit and her arrival talking about Brexit. What will her message be to the G20? You know, I, like she's trying to thread this needle, right? But it makes it a heck of a lot harder for Macron and Merkel to push back against Trump isolationism when they're going through their own divorce with May. Uh, you know, I think the Brexit case will underscore that it's not just Trump who has concerns about, you know, the way things are going these days. There's a lot of similarities between Brexit and with what Trump is trying to do on trade. So in many ways, you know, May will be here drawing a line in the sand, trying to champion her uh, Brexit deal. Of course, it seems every day Theresa May is also trying to make sure she keeps a hold on her cabinet and her caucus. Uh, but uh, overall, the Brexit situation uh, makes it so that it is not 19 on one when it comes to trade. The trade picture is a muddied one here. And so it makes it tough for countries like Canada uh, that are, are trying to lead reform of the WTO to try to figure out a set of rules that everyone is comfortable with. Because right now, it looks like a lot of people are trying to burn down the rules that exist. You're last on my list of things for us to talk about, but certainly not least, is Russia, Josh. Not only is the recent clash between the Ukraine and Russia bound to come up, but Putin and Trump are expected to meet. Um, what will this meeting be like compared to the one we saw in Helsinki? No, I think I think that is the big, really unanswered question. I think we have a good idea of what's going to happen with the Saudis, and we have a fairly good idea, at least what the possible outcomes are on the U.S. and China 
I think when it comes to the Ukraine question, that is a live wire heading into this meeting. We just spoke with uh, Trudeau's foreign minister, the Canadian foreign minister here, who is of Ukrainian descent. You can chalk that up to one country that is not by Putin's action. That foreign minister is already banned from Russia by Putin, so I don't think he'll be on the guest list anytime soon. So I think that uh, a key test of the G20 will be how they respond to this Russian aggression. Remember, it was Russian aggression uh, four years ago that got them kicked out of the G7, uh, which at the time was operating as the G8. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know with, uh, with climate change, the G20 said, you know, 19 of us like the Paris Accord, mm-hmm. Trump doesn't. Uh, you might have something similar here, where 19 or you know a number in the team condemn Russian actions, while others hold out. You know, the man at the center of all of this is the Argentinian president Macri. As the host of this summit, how tall of a task is it for him to juggle all of these big issues, all of these side meetings, and, and get something done? It's it, it is a challenge. You know, he uh, he's been getting a lot of credit from other leaders for trying to hold it. Together, you know, Macri has tried to put a more business-friendly face on Argentina. In some ways, he's really trying to use this to pull things together and to, you know, rejoin this club of world economic leaders at a time when others are look like they are don't want to have anything to do with this club. So, you know, he's showing up at a party that others have one foot out the door of. And so I, I think it is going to remain tough for him. But this is the first time the G20 has been held in Argentina and South America, I should say, as well. Um, so it also that gives him a chance to under all the headlines of Trump, Xi, of uh, the Saudis, of Ukraine. Uh, you know, on the bread and butter work of the G20 is about putting focus on issues. So he'll actually have an opportunity to put sort of a South American lens on things for the first time. So I think I think his accomplishments at the top level will be. Can he hold it together? Do they get it communicated? Do things collapse? And if not, he gets credit for that. But more subtly, under the waves, he'll be you know, able to advance issues that the G20 hasn't paid as much attention to before. You brought up the communicate, um, which is something that after the G7, uh, people started talking about. Because not, not often do people talk about the communique. So what is the communique, actually, uh, for those who don't really know? And why is that important at the end of this G20? Yeah, it's the joint statement at the end. It used to be, uh, you know, these are all the things we agree on, but also these are all the things we're going to do. And, you know, at the time of the financial crisis, it helped send a signal, a pretty clear signal. And since then, it's kind of devolved and is now more of a laundry list. You get things like, like I mentioned on climate change, where there's a line in the communicator that says 19 of us think this and one of us does not. Um, so, you know, the the, the so far this year, the G7 got a communique, but Trump withdrew his support for it like within a couple hours, which is not great. And then the APEC summit earlier this month didn't get a communique for the first time. G20 leaders uh, seem to expect to get one. The Sherpas, who are the sort of bureaucrats who do all this stuff, seem to think they're going to get one, but no one is holding their breath for it to be some grand you know, uh, pledge of joint unanimous action on stuff. I think you're more going to really see the divides expressed uh, through that document. So do you think that we'll continue to see that divide and we'll, we'll, all the leaders will go home and there won't be a one big issue that everyone can agree on? Um, I think, yeah, I, I, it, it, it's certainly hard to look at, you know, the core pressing challenge that everyone agrees on. They don't agree on trade. They don't agree on climate change. 
they're not going to agree on the Khashoggi case. They're not going to agree on Ukraine. Um, but people are taking, uh, you might say, an optimistic view. Some might say a Pollyanna issue. That you know, they're, they're, all the challenges facing the world right now remain global challenges. They're not confined within one country's borders. And so, hey, you have to have some type of at least kick at the can to deal with them. And so they think the G20 will survive if only for that, even if it doesn't have the teeth it once did when there was this giant enemy that everyone agreed was there, that financial crisis a decade ago. Josh, thank you. Thank you very much. Since speaking with Josh, the president has tweeted about his meeting with Vladimir Putin, saying, based on the fact that the ships and sailors have not been returned to Ukraine from Russia, I have decided it would be best for all parties concerned to cancel my previously scheduled meeting in Argentina with President Vladimir Putin. I look forward to a meaningful summit again as soon as the situation is resolved. That's the TikTok for today. Thanks for listening, and please head on over to iTunes and let us know what you think. I'm Dave Myers. You can follow me on Twitter at David F. Myers, and you can get all your updates 24-7 at TikTok.